Welcome to Bear State Tales. I'm your host, Matt Manos, and we're about to start Season 2. So what's Season 2 going to be like? Well, for one thing, there's going to be a lot more podcasts. There's going to be a lot more talk about Arkansas and hopefully some more interviews. You're going to see three different kinds of podcasts. One's going to be a bite. It's going to be a quick 15 or 20 minute podcast. It'll probably be about uh, somewhere that the family has gone or some kind of a quick trip or maybe even a great restaurant. The next one's going to be more of a meal. It's going to be a deep dive into a topic like today's topic, and it'll last 30 to 45 minutes. And then every once in a while, we're going to have that feast. What's the feast? Well, that's going to be some kind of an interview. There's not going to be a timetable on that. It's going to last as long as the interview lasts. Another thing that you're going to notice is that we're going to be a lot more active on social media. There's three places that you can interact with Bear State Tales. Twitter, and that's at Bear State Tales. On Instagram, which is also at Bear State Tales. And then, of course, Facebook, which is also at Bear State Tales. So there you go. There's three different ways to interact with the podcast. You're definitely welcome to stop by, chat, send in any kind of questions, and even make recommendations on future podcast topics or somebody that you think needs to be interviewed. Well, that brings us to today's podcast. And today I thought it would be a good idea to go over where the name came from. One of the things that's been interesting about the podcast is that I thought only people from Arkansas would be interested in Bear State Tales. I don't know if it's the name or if a lot of people are just looking for podcasts on topics about Arkansas, but I've had folks from all over the world listening to the podcast. I took for granted that everybody who listened to the podcast knew where the name came from. And that's not going to be the case if you're listening from, say, Germany, where a large portion of our listeners are at. So we're going to talk about that today. First, we're going to talk about some of the first nicknames. The first nickname, of course, was the Bear State. It was nicknamed that because when the first European settlers started coming to Arkansas, they ran into a lot of bears. After that, Arkansas was known as the Toothpick State. I was not from whittling out toothpicks. It was actually for large knives. In fact, sometimes the size of dirks. After that, it was called the Rack and Sack State. And funny story, there's actually a Rack and Sack Society. And they're probably going to be a future podcast. They just don't know it yet. In 1920, the very first official nickname was adopted by the state. And it was called the Wonder State. After that, 20 years later, in 1940... Arkansas switched to the land of opportunity. In 1980, as an attempt, and I think probably a successful attempt, to market Arkansas on its natural beauty, the nickname was officially changed to the natural state, and that's what it is today. That brings us back to our main topic today, the bear state. It also brings us to our first change in format. So what we're going to do today, instead of me sitting here reading off a bunch of facts about why Arkansas was called the Bear State, we're going to sample a writing from the 1800s called The Big Bear of Arkansas. It was written by Thomas Banks Thorpe. Thorpe was an American humorist, and he wrote a series called The Bee Hunter. He also was famous for a lot of his art, and he did draw the illustrations for his short stories. It's also been noted that Thorpe's writings were a heavy influence on Mark Twain. Without further ado, The Big Bear of Arkansas. A steamboat on the Mississippi frequently, in making her regular trips, carries between places 
varying from one to two thousand miles apart. And as these boats advertised the land passengers and freight at all intermediate landings, the heterogeneous character of the passengers of one of these upcountry boats can scarcely be imagined by one who has never seen it with his own eyes. Starting from New Orleans, in one of these boats, you will find yourself associated with men from every state in the Union, and from every portion of the globe, and a man of observation need not lack for amusement or instruction in such a crowd. If he will take the trouble to read the great book of characters so favorably opened before him, here may be seen jostling together the wealthy southern planter, the peddler of tinware from New England, the northern merchant, and the southern jockey, a venerable bishop, a desperate gambler, the land speculator, and the honest farmer, professional men of all creeds and characters, wolverines, suckers, Hoosiers, buckeyes, corn crackers, beside a plentiful sprinkling of the half-horse and half-alligator species of men who are peculiar to old Mississippi and who appear to gain a livelihood by simply going up and down the river. In the pursuit of pleasure or business, I have frequently found myself in such a crowd. Thorpe is trying to set the stage for us here. He doesn't give us an exact date, but he's letting us understand that this is towards the beginning of European settlement in Arkansas. Also something that I think is worth mentioning is that during this time period, while we're used to going on roads, some kind of river transportation would have been the norm. So whether it be a steamboat or a flatboat or something like that, almost everything that transported, transported on the river, and that's including people. Back to the story. On one occasion when in New Orleans, I had the occurrence to take a trip of a few miles up the Mississippi, and I hurried on board the well-known high-pressure and beat-everything steamboat Invincible. Just as the last note of the last bell was sounding, and when in the confusion and the bustle that is natural to the boat getting underway had subsided, I discovered that I was associated in a heterogeneous a crowd as ever were got together. As my trip was to be of a few hours' duration only, I made no endeavor to become acquainted with my fellow passengers, most of whom would be together many days. Instead of this, I took out of my pocket the latest paper, and more critically than usual, examined it. My fellow passengers at the same time disposed of themselves in little groups. While I was thus busy employed in reading and my companions were more busily still employed in discussing such subjects as suited their humors best, we were most unexpectedly startled by a loud whoop uttered in the social hall. That part of the cabin fitted off for a bar. Then was to be heard a loud crowing, which would not have continued to interest us such sounds being quite common in the place of spirits, had not the hero of these windy accomplishments stuck his head into the cabin and hollered out, Hurrah for the big bear of Arkansas! Then might be heard a confused hum of voices, unintelligible, save in such broken sentences as, Horse, screamer, lightning is slow. As might have been expected, this continued interruption attracted the attention of everyone in the cabin. All conversation ceased, and in the midst of this surprise, the big bear walked into the cabin, took a chair and put his feet on the stove, and looking back over his shoulder, passed a general and familiar salute. Stranger, how are you? He then expressed himself as much at home as if he had been at 
forks of the cypress, and perhaps a little more so. Some of the company at this familiarity looked a little angry, and some astonished. But in a moment, every face was wreathed in a smile. There was something about the intruder that won the heart on sight. He appeared to be a man enjoying perfect health and contentment. His eyes were as sparkling as diamonds and good-natured to simplicity. Then his perfect confidence in himself was irresistibly droll. Perhaps, said he, gentlemen, running on without a person interrupting, perhaps you have been to New Orleans often. I never made the first visit before, and I don't intend to make another in a crow's life. I am thrown away in that our place, and useless. That are a fact. Some of the gentlemen thar call me green. Well, perhaps I am, said I. But I aren't so at home, and if I aren't off my trail much, the heads of them pearlite chaps themselves weren't much the hardest. For according to my notion, they were real know-nothings. Green as pumpkin vine couldn't, in farming, I'll bet raise a crop of turnips. And as for shooting, they'd miss a barn if the door was swinging. And that, too, with the best rifle in the country. And then they talked to me about hunting and laughed at my calling the principal game in Arkansas poker and high-low jack. Perhaps, said I, you prefer checkers or roulette. And this they laughed harder then, and asked me if I lived in the woods and didn't know what game was. At this, I rather think I laughed. Yes, I roared, says I. Strangers, if you'd asked me how we got our meat in Arkansas, I'd told you at once and give you the list of varmints that would make a caravan, beginning with the bar and ending off with the cat. That's meat, though, not game. Game, indeed, that's what city folks call it, and with them it means chipper birds. Maybe such trash live in my diggings, but I aren't noticed them yet. A bird, anyway, is too trifling. I never did shoot it but one, and I'd never forgive myself for that had it weighed less than 40 pounds. I wouldn't draw a rifle on anything less heavy than that. And when I meet another wild turkey of the same size, I'll crap him. A wild turkey weighing 40 pounds, explained 20 voices in the cabin at once. Yes, strangers, and wasn't it a whopper? You see, the thing was so fat that it couldn't fly far. And when he fell out of the tree, after I shot him, on striking the ground, he burst open behind, and the way the pound gobs... A tallow rolled out of the opening was perfectly beautiful. Where did all that happen? asked a cynical looking Hoosier. Happen? Happened in Arkansas. Where else could it have happened? But in the creation state, the finishing up country, a state where the sile runs down to the center of the earth and the government gives you a title to every inch. Then it ours just breathe them and they make you snort like a horse. It's a state without a fault, it is. So here we see Thorpe introduce the main character, Jim Duggett. He gives Duggett the classic rustic speech of the humorous stories of the old Southern West. It also has its first tall tale, which is tradition of this type of stories. One thing that it did do was feed into the stereotype of Arkansas and, and people there being kind of wild. The story continues. Accepting mosquitoes, cried the Hoosier. Well, stranger, accept them, for it are a fact that they are rather enormous. 
and do push themselves in somewhat troublesome. But stranger, they never stick twice in the same place and give them a fair chance for a few months and you will get as much above noticing them as an alligator. They can't hurt my feelings for they lay under the skin and I never knew but one case of injury resulting from them. And that was to a Yankee. And they take far worse to foreigners anyhow than they do to the natives. But the way they used that fellow up, first they punched him under, he swelled up and busted. Then he separated, as the doctor called it, until he was as raw as beef. Then, owing to the warm weather, he tucked the agar. And finally, he tucked a steamboat and left the country. He was the only man that ever tucked mosquitoes a heart that I knowed of. But mosquitoes is nature, and I never find fault with her. If they're large, Arkansas is large. Her varmints are large, her trees are large, her rivers are large and a small mosquito would be of no more use in Arkansas than preaching in a cane break. We all know that if you're in eastern Arkansas, there are some pretty big mosquitoes. So I kind of have a personal note on mosquitoes. Uh, I grew up in the Ozarks, and in the Ozarks, you think you have mosquitoes until you move somewhere that has them. And so uh, one of the places that I lived was Jacksonport, and one of the things that the locals told me was that you'll know you're starting to adapt to the environment in the Delta when you stop slapping mosquitoes. And so somewhere around my second year there, I caught myself just wiping mosquitoes off, and that's when you know you've kind of gotten used to them. Uh, I guess I stopped taking them to heart. So this knockdown argument in favor of big mosquitoes used the Hoosier up, and the logician started on a new track to explain how numerous bear were in his diggings where he represented them to be about as plenty as blackberries and a little more plentiful. Upon the utterance of this assertion, a timid little man near me inquired if the bear in Arkansas ever attacked the settlers in number. No, said our hero, warming with the subject, no, stranger, for you see it ain't the nature of black bear to go in droves. But the way they squander around in pairs and singles is edifying. And then the way I hunt them, the old black rascals, known to crack of my gun as well as they know a pig squeal. They grow thin in our part. It frightens them so. And they do take the noise dreadfully, poor things. That gun of mine is perfect epidemic among bears. If not watched closely, it'll go off as quick as a warm scent as my dog Bowie knives will. And then the dog, whoo, why that fellow thinks that the whole world is full of bear. He finds them so easy. It's lucky he don't talk as well as think, for with his natural modesty, if he should suddenly learn how much he is acknowledged to be ahead of all other dogs in the universe, he would be astonished to death in two minutes. Strangers, that dog knows a bear's way as well as a horse jockey knows a woman. He always barks at the right time and bites the exact place and whips without getting scratched. I never could tell whether he was made expressively to hunt bear or whether bear was made expressively for him to hunt. And this is kind of one of the key parts of why I brought this story in. As plentiful as blackberries. So if anybody who's ever seen blackberries growing wild or even seen them in somebody's farm, blackberries grow pretty plentiful. And bears at that time would have been pretty plentiful as well. Before European settlers started into uh, the area known as Arkansas today, they estimate there was around 50,000 black bears. 
That's a lot of blackberries. I think something that's also worth pointing out right there is that he talks about not many black bear attacks. And, and that holds pretty true. Even today, there's not a lot of black bear attacks, and especially here in Arkansas. Now we'll skip a little bit. He goes on talking about how great his dog Bowie Knife is. And we'll start back up. What season of the year do your hunts take place, inquired a gentlemanly foreigner who for some peculiarities of his baggage I suspected to be an Englishman on some hunting expedition, probably at the foot of the Rocky Mountains. The season for bear hunting, stranger, said the man of Arkansas, is generally all year round, and the hunts take place about as regular. I read in history that varmints have their fat season and their lean season. That's not the case in Arkansas. Feeding as they do upon the spontaneous production of the sire, they have one continued fat season the year round. Though in winter things in this way is rather more greasy than in summer, I must admit. For that reason, bear with us run in warm weather. But in winter, they only waddle. Fat, fat. It's an enemy to speed. It tames everything that has plenty of it. I have seen wild turkeys from its influence as gentle as chickens run a bear in this fat condition and the way it improves the critter for eating is amazing. It sort of mixes the aisle up with the meat until you can't tell the other from which I've done this often. So on this section, Arkansas does have fairly mild winters, although you can't tell it from the last few. But black bears do hibernate just a little bit in Arkansas. So somewhere around 100 days. In areas where there's more flooding, they'll, in the wintertime, they'll actually den up a little longer. Females usually den up longer than males. Something that I also find interesting, and I think it means that Thorpe probably had at least a little bit of experience in eating some black bears. Arkansas is known for how sweet the black bears here taste. And that sounds kind of like a strange thing to say. I've heard it explained a few different ways. One of them that I've heard, and I don't know that I exactly believe this one, is that it's because we have so many wild muscadines and, and bears like to climb up and eat those muscadines. I'm not sure I buy that one. I've also heard that it's from all the acorns that bear eat here in Arkansas. We do have a lot of oak trees, and so therefore they do get a lot of their winter fat from acorns. It's a high fat content. Something else that I think that's worth mentioning right here is that I do think that during Thorpe's time, there was probably more food for bears to eat. And that comes back to something that I'm sure will be a future topic of Bear State Tales, the Ozark Chinkapin. If you don't know what an Ozark Chinkapin is, you need to go look it up as soon as this podcast is over, do a little reading on it. It used to be a huge staple crop here in Arkansas for wild game. Even early settlers would have eaten quite a bit of it. Native Americans made good use of it. It got a blight in the 1900s from a Chinese water chestnut. It actually eliminated a, a lot of different chestnuts in the U.S. And the Ozark Chinkapin was one of those. And so I think bears would have been fatter during this time period because they had access to the Ozark Chinkapin. Also on the subject of bear fat. Bear fat was a top commodity in the 1800s. You may not think about it today being some kind of big traded commodity, but then it was very, very valuable. Think about this. One gallon of bear fat in the 1840s would have cost around a dollar. 
adjusted for inflation, that's that's right around $34. So for one gallon of, of bear fat, someone would pay $34. To further show just the value that that was, a blacksmith during that time made about a dollar a day. So not only was it a lucrative commodity, but it was also uh, a commodity that was only used by the very wealthy. This value almost led to him being eliminated from Arkansas. Uh, so by 1930, it's estimated there were only 50 black bear left in Arkansas. So you're talking about around 100, 130 years, 50,000 black bear had been eliminated. And a lot of that is, is due to the fact that they were so valuable. In the 1960s, Arkansas Game and Fish started one of the most successful uh, repatriation stories to, uh, of any animal. Uh, maybe the eagle is better, but they brought in 250 black bears. Today, we're sitting at around 5,000. That puts Arkansas somewhere around 14 or 15 for black bears overall, and the population is continuing to grow. All right, so there you have it. That is today's Bear State tale, and it's about why Arkansas is called the Bear State. With that, I want to remind you to reach out to us on our social accounts. we got one at Facebook, Bear State Tales, Instagram at Bear State Tales, and Twitter at Bear State Tales. Especially if you're one of the folks listening to this program in Germany, uh, I want to hear what your thoughts on uh, hearing about Arkansas are. So, all right, everybody. Thank you, and until next time, have a lot of fun, and we'll see you out there.